so we've taken a little break in a bunch of different studies that I've been doing so I can cover um, what kind of bodies we're going to be having in the millennium and into eternity. And I had done a couple of flow charts of Old Testament saints and what happens to them and then the destiny of believers up to the time of um, you know the end times and uh, I'm going to be doing another flow chart with um, what happens to believers during the time that people call the tribulation and then also another flow chart uh, where we consider the destiny of the rest of humanity the millennium people who are going to be raised from the dead at the great white throne judgment and uh, the wicked so on and so forth so you have that to look forward to. Plus, I have to finish my Bible studies in the book of Revelation. So I'm going to be doing chapter 2 uh, the next time I do a study in Revelation. So today what I wanted to do as kind of a follow-up to the video I did yesterday on um, boot camp and um, talking about the precedent that Christ set for a resurrection body before a glorified body. And I have to say I was rather surprised by all of the um, really affirming and encouraging comments that you guys left because, you know, I look at a video that's over an hour long and I'm like, oh, I don't even know if people are going to want to watch that much. But you guys are troopers, you know, in the best sense of the word. And I really appreciate all of all of my subs and all the new people who've come to my channel and are watching my videos. So today I want to go over the three kinds of human bodies that the Bible describes. So you could either have a mortal body, an immortal body, or a glorified body. And uh, if you're a believer, it's possible that you will participate in all three of those. You will have a glorified body, an immortal body, and a mortal body. I do have show notes for this particular video that I'm doing today, and the Bible verses are in this um, printout, in this PDF, so if you're curious about what verses I'm using, I will share them in the video, but uh, it's always good to get a copy of this, a PDF, download it, and then just take a look at it and see for yourself uh, what the scriptures say about these things. So in the video yesterday, I talked about how um, if it weren't for the book of John, the gospel of John, we probably wouldn't know this one little um, fact, and that is that Jesus, when he rose from the dead, rose in an immortal resurrected body. So this body here, the immortal body, we can also call a resurrection body. When Christ rose from the dead, he became, he was immortal. He would never die again. And there are scripture references that we'll look at in a minute that talk about that. And there are also scriptures that talk about us. We'll get an immortal and resurrection body and we will never die again. But there was this gap in time between when Jesus rose from the dead in his immortal resurrected body and when he uh, got his glorified body. And glorification is given to people. It was given to Christ. It will be given to us by God the Father. We have to go to heaven to be glorified. Even Jesus had to go to heaven. He had to ascend to heaven to be glorified. It was his Father who glorifies him. We'll be looking at verses that talk about that. It's the Father who is going to glorify us. 
So all of this is kind of vague um, in most eschatology, which is probably the reason why it was kind of vague in my mind, because I've never really heard anybody talk about um, these three kinds of bodies, human bodies, that people can have. And so uh, you come to a passage like 1 Corinthians 15, um, 51 and following that talks about this mystery that's not the rapture, this mystery that says that you can get a resurrection body and not even have to die. So you'll, you can get this immortal resurrection body apart from death. So this passage is quoted as a rapture passage, which is really interesting. It doesn't say anything about rapture in, in the, that passage at all. It uh, People will take it and use it that way, and then they'll even go so far as to say that it's the rapture that's a mystery. We know the rapture is not a mystery. Um, being taken into heaven is, is not anything that's new. That's been going on since the days of Enoch. What is new, though, is that... Um, you can get a resurrection body without dying, okay? Uh, you can be resurrected in this present body rather than, you know, having to die and then be raised in this immortal body. You can receive an immortal body apart from death. So this is a very interesting thing. So Jesus received his resurrection body and then he went into heaven. He ascended. He told Mary that uh, Mary should deliver this message to the uh, apostles that he was ascending. And then after Jesus came back on that same day, he went to heaven and he came back and then he gave the Holy Spirit. And we know that Jesus could not give the Holy Spirit until he'd been glorified. So the glorification happened for Christ on the day he rose from the dead. There are so many things that happened on that day that Jesus rose from the dead that people don't even really talk about. It gets pretty much ignored. We talk about the resurrection, but some of this other stuff just gets sort of shoved to the periphery, and really it's the other stuff, those details that are really important, especially for us who are living at the end times. Okay, so a mortal body can die, an immortal body cannot die, and then a glorified body is a very um, unique body that actually has divine characteristics. And we'll look at some passages that talk about that in this video as well. So there are three main kinds of human bodies. There is the mortal body. Okay, now Adam and Eve in the garden, um, before they'd sinned, they actually had a mortal body. It was innocent. It did, was not infected with sin. But we know that that body was capable of dying because God said to them, don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The day you eat from it is the day you will die. Now, Adam and Eve, they violated that command. And there were two things um, that happened that day. The first thing was is that the um, the death follows sin. So the um, aging, disease, the sin nature, our fallen nature, this rebellion thing immediately infected their bodies. And according to Romans 8, it also affected and infected all the rest of creation. Romans 8 tells us that all creation is groaning, awaiting for the revelation of the sons of God. And the next thing we know is that um, the penalty for 
uh, sin is is death. You know, the soul that sins shall die. And even though that wasn't given at the time of Adam and Eve, if you're in rebellion against God, well, you deserve to die. That's how it goes. But Adam and Eve were not killed. They did not die. God did not put them to death. Instead, he clothed them with skins. And of course, in order to get skins on a person, you have to first kill the animal. So there was a sacrifice uh, that happened. And then the skins from this sacrifice were placed on Adam and his wife. And it's interesting that the word for covering and the word for atonement are the same word. So in clothing Adam and Eve, uh, they were provided with atonement and it was a blood sacrifice that provided a covering for them. They realized that they were naked on the day that they sinned. And I don't think it was because they just all of a sudden became aware that they didn't have any clothes on. The fact was, is that they had been clothed. They had been clothed in some kind of other kind of clothing. Now, it's very possible that they were clothed in light. That's God's clothing. He's wrapped in light and in clouds. And so there was something that was coming from Adam and Eve or surrounding them that kept them from being unclothed. They had some kind of covering that when they sinned and they ate from that tree of knowledge, that covering went away and God had to replace that covering with another one that was basically a, a symbolic of atonement. So there are some mortal bodies that are infected with sin and Adam and Eve had a mortal body that wasn't infected with sin and then it, they had one that was after they disobeyed God. So, um, Okay, so what I've written here is that there are mortal bodies that do not have a sin infection. Okay, that's like Adam and Eve before they fell. And then afterward, they have a sin infection because they sinned. And that sin infection, according to Paul, Romans, and also in 1 Corinthians 15, talks about this sin infection passing to all people because Adam is our father, okay, and that sin infection always leads to death. And that's why Paul said, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? My body, my mortal body is sin infected. I have this infection and it leads to death. Before Adam and Eve sinned, they had a mortal body with no sin infection. The other person who has a mortal body with no sin infection or who had one is Jesus. Okay, he was given a mortal human body when he was incarnated and he was born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus had a body that could die. We know it could die because he died on the cross, right? His body, human body, did not have a sin nature. He did not have a sin nature. And as a result, Jesus, you know, had he not died, okay, on the cross, uh, would have never died because he didn't have the sin infection that leads to death. So, you know, theoretically, he could have lived on and on and on and on and on um, because he didn't have the sin infection. Jesus would not have died unless he chose to die. People delivered him up to death 
to crucifixion, but here's what Jesus said about, about himself. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again, and this charge I have received from my Father. A lot of very interesting things in this chapter, or in this passage in John 10, uh, verses 17 and 18. Jesus said that no one takes his life from him, that he voluntarily lays it down, and he will voluntarily, of his own volition, he will take it back up again. So when people ask or people say, who rose Jesus from the dead? When you look in the scriptures, it says, God the Father raised Jesus from the dead, the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead, and Jesus himself, and he raised himself from the dead. So all three um, persons of the divine community, the Godhead, were involved in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, there is another passage. Um, I believe it's Matthew. I didn't write it down here. I have to make a mental note to include it. I think it's in Matthew, where Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and he yielded up his spirit. That is, he gave up the ghost. When Jesus cried out, he voluntarily chose to die. He gave up his spirit. He yielded his spirit. He sent it away. That's what the word yielded there means. Once his spirit departed, his body died. And uh, James 2.26 says this, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. So the body dies when the spirit leaves. Okay, when your spirit leaves, your body dies. A lot of people think, well, your body dies first and then your spirit goes. Well, according to what the scriptures say, uh, it's your spirit leaves and then your body dies because your body cannot live without your spirit inside of it. Adam and Eve had a perfect and sinless body Okay, no sin infection, but it was mortal. And Jesus also had a mortal body with no sin infection, right? So he had to voluntarily lay down his life. Death was not a given for him because he did not have the ravages of a sin infection that were infecting his, his human body. When Jesus died and rose from the dead, he came back in a resurrection or immortal body. An immortal body can never die, right? You can only die once. We're, we're talking about in a general sense here, but if you've been like resurrected from the dead, like Lazarus or the widow of Nain's son or, or any of these people in the New Testament who were raised from the dead, they would have to die again. They were raised in their mortal body into this body right here, the body that they had when they died, and they would have to die in this body right here. So just because Lazarus rose from the dead doesn't mean that he was given an immortal body. He wasn't. Actually, nobody could receive an immortal body until Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. He's the first one. So all of these people who rose from the dead and even today, when people rise from the dead or have a near-death experience or whatever, they go back into this mortal body because the resurrection to immortality does not happen until the time of the end. Christ is the first fruits of that, and the, the rest of 
people, believers, will be resurrected and have this resurrection at, uh, to immortality, the time of the end, and then after the great white throne judgment, after the thousand years uh, of the millennium, then everybody else who's not a believer will be raised from the dead and their fate will be determined at that point in time. But everybody's going to be raised into an immortal body because death and Hades are going to be cast into the lake of fire. So death is not possible anymore. All right, so everybody is going to be in an immortal body. An immortal body is not subject to death. It's imperishable. Romans 6, 9 says this, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So one day, believers are going to have an immortal body as well. I'm going to read from a passage in uh, Romans chapter 6, starting with verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Okay, Paul is talking about this um, both in a kind of theoretical sense that, that we need to be living as though these truths that he's talking about were true for us. We need to live that way right now, that we've died to sin. Our life is uh, lived to God. Romans 8, 11, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay, so we all have this mortal body. And this passage in Romans 8 says that the spirit raised Christ from the dead. But because we have the spirit, we're going to be raised from the dead by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, so we will have a re resurrection body. Believers through the Holy Spirit, will be raised from the dead and put into a resurrection body. The Holy Spirit is actually the down payment that guarantees that we're going to have an immortal body. Romans 8.23, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Okay, so the redemption of our bodies is when we go from mortal to immortal. Paul says that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. That is, we were given the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is what causes our human spirit to be born again, to have new life. We become a child of God. We have the seal of God that's given to us, and the seal is the mark of ownership, and 
when God looks at us, he sees the Holy Spirit stamp on us. And so God knows that we belong to Christ and we belong to him. And it's this seal of ownership that says that all the promises that God has made to us, he is going to fulfill. And the giving of the Holy Spirit was just the first promise. So the Holy Spirit is called the promise of the Father that the promised Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the first promise that God made good on. He sent the Holy Spirit. It's the, he's called the Spirit of Promise. And so those of us who have the Holy Spirit have this guarantee, this down payment, that all the rest of this is going to take place. We will have an immortal and resurrected body. We know that the sin infection will be gone once we're in a resurrection body. 1 Corinthians 15 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. That is, we're going to go from mortal to immortal in the twinkling of an eye at the sound of the last trumpet. And remember, uh, Moses had uh, silver trumpets that were made. There were different blasts that were given according to who was being called to assemble. There was a blast, um, particular kind of blast for war and for a, uh, breaking up camp and so on. And there was a blast that just assembled the elders, the VIPs. Okay, there was a trumpet blast that sounded for just the elders. The trumpet is going to sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. The dead will receive their resurrection, immortal bodies, they'll get that in heaven. Uh, they, it's a spiritual body, it's not made out of the dust of the ground the way Adam's body was made and the way ours is. Uh, it's a spiritual body, it does not require that a, a spirit come to the earth to receive the body before they you know, can go back to heaven and so on. So that idea of Christ bringing the spirits of the dead with him to get into a, a resurrection body and then going with him into heaven is kind of a, uh, it's not a biblical concept. Verse 53, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. So the mortal body is perishable and we are to put on the imperishable. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death that should belong to some of us will not actually happen because there's going to be people, hopefully you and me, who will get an imperishable, immortal body and death will have no part of our life. Death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your victory? O oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there are a lot of people who think this trumpet sound is the uh, Feast of Trumpets trumpet. And I kind of beg to differ with that one. Three times in this passage, we see the word victory. The Romans had a victory trumpet that was sounded when the soldiers went to war and they, and they could see that they were winning. And in fact, you know, they had won. They would sound the trumpet 
that said victory. We've won this battle. Paul is talking to basically Gentiles here, and a lot of the illustrations that he uses in 1 Corinthians are from a Gentile's perspective using the Roman army, using Roman military as an example. And this is one example, I believe, right here. Three times uh, the word victory is used, and he's referring to the victory over sin. It's the victory over a foe, over an enemy, and this is the sound of the victory trumpet. So the third kind of body that people can have is a glorified body. So when Jesus died, he had a mortal body, okay? His mortal body, the book of Hebrews tells us that God prepared a body for him. It was a body without sin, no sin infection, and yet it could die. So Jesus died in this body that had been prepared for him. He, uh, he went into Sheol, the place of the dead, and that's when he got the keys of death and Hades. And he actually was made alive in the spirit before he was made alive physically. That's in, I think it's First Peter. He was made alive in the spirit. That is, um, Jesus had to be brought back into relationship with God the Father because when he was on the cross, um, God turned away and he forsook his son. That did not last for very long. <laughs> okay, as soon as... Uh, it was possible the Holy Spirit made Jesus alive in the Spirit, brought him into God's presence. And Christ took with him the Old Testament saints that were in paradise. He brought them with him into heaven. These are believers. These are people who had faith. They were people of faith that we can read about in Hebrews chapter 11. They're Old Testament saints who are going to live in the New Jerusalem. So just read Hebrews 11 through 13 and you'll see these Old Testament saints. They're part of the church. They're going to live in the New Jerusalem. So Jesus went from Sheol into heaven, went back down into Sheol, and uh, took the keys of death and Hades and then kicked some of the people out who were should have gone with uh, Jesus into heaven. But, um, you, you know, according to the law of the harvest, you have to leave gleanings. So Jesus couldn't bring everybody. So he booted them out. And these are the saints who appeared to many people after Jesus rose from the dead. Those saints would have to die again. But this time, instead of going to Sheol, the place of the dead, they would go to be in God's presence. I've talked about that in a lot of other videos. After Jesus was in the place of the dead, he rose from the dead, and he rose into an immortal body. The only vestiges of the crucifixion that he decided to keep, he wouldn't have had to keep them, but he did keep them for all eternity, so that we'll, we will know the price that was paid for us, was the scars on his hands and feet and the wound in his side. He was resurrected, but he had not yet ascended or been glorified. So he ascended, and he was glorified in God's presence in heaven. God glorified him. And then he came back down again, and that's when he gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles. None of the other Gospels talk about this. But what it tells us is that when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose in an immortal state, not in a glorified state. And 
it's easy to confuse immortality and glorification. It, it, it is easy and, you know, I've confused it and a lot of other people have done the same thing. So I'll just read that passage again from John chapter 20. Uh, Jesus appeared to Mary. He said, do not cling to me for I've not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord and that he'd said these things to her. And remember, Jesus, uh, in the Upper Room Discourse, he told his disciples, he said, in a little while, I'm going to leave, um, and I'll be gone a little while, and then I'll be back. And then he said, it's better for you that I go, um, because I need to go, and when I come back, I'll be able to give you the Holy Spirit. So the Upper Room Discourse, which is the, the what Jesus talked about the night before he was crucified, has so much information about the Holy Spirit. And the when Jesus says here that he was going to ascend and he was going to God, that meant something to the apostles. Read John chapters 13 through 16 and you will see that it means the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, when Jesus appeared to his disciples here, he's in a glorified state. Okay. So Jesus is glorified at this point in time. He just materialized inside the room. And when he'd said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he'd said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, John 7.39 says this about the Holy Spirit, that those who had believed in him were to receive, that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So glorification is the only way uh, that Jesus could give the Holy Spirit. And in order to be glorified, he had to, be, he had to ascend to his Father. The giving of the Holy Spirit is linked to Jesus' glorification his, after ascending into heaven on the day he rose from the dead. And there's this very interesting passage in Daniel chapter 7. I'm going to read it. And my understanding is that this is actually referring to this time when Jesus uh, appears in the throne room of heaven to be glorified by God. In my vision in the night, I continued to watch, and I saw one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given dominion, glory, and kingship. It says Jesus came with the clouds into heaven. It doesn't say Jesus was coming with the clouds from heaven to the earth. He arrived in heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days, and that's God, and he was led into his presence, and he was given dominion and glory and kingship. So I think it's at that moment when Jesus was glorified that he became uh, king and ruler and the the one that God gave all his authority to 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 begin doing whatever it is that um, he was going to be doing over the next um, 50 days or so on earth plus the 2,000 years afterward and what he's going to be doing during the end times. So just as the father glorified Christ, God the Father is going to glorify those of us who are sons.
God declares us justified by Christ's death. And if we've submitted to the sanctification of the Holy Spirit, which inevitably will lead to certain amounts of suffering, God will declare us justified through Christ's blood and he will glorify us. Okay, this is a huge honor. It is something totally different from immortality. It's one thing to be immortal. It's another thing to be glorified, as we're going to see in a minute. Romans 8, starting with verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And one of God's purposes for us is our sanctification. Okay, and I think this is from either Timothy or Titus. This is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And Romans 8 is talking about the sanctification process. The Son's being led by the Spirit of God. That if you want to be glorified, you have to suffer. You know, you have to follow Christ's example in these things. If you want the whole process, that includes suffering and includes, you know, dying to self and allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. Verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Okay, and all of this is in the past tense because from God's perspective, if you're part of this group of those who love God and are called according to his purpose, you will be glorified. The glory of God, his glorifying us, allows us this almost breathtakingly impossible, hard to believe um, privilege. He allows us to be part of what I call the divine community. So a lot of people will call this the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I refer to it as the divine community because there are three different um, individuals within this community. They're not separate gods. They're all part of this one community. And they live together in perfect unity and harmony. And it's not um, that they are one thing. It's that they are in unity. And um, I think of them as being a community. They, they live together. Part of being uh, invited into this divine community is that we're going to be partakers of the divine nature. Okay, we don't even know what that means. We have no idea what that means. But it's not something that regular mortal people or even resurrected immortal people will have any concept of to be a partaker of the divine nature. 2 Peter 1.4, it's sort of starting in the middle of a thought here, but by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Wow, that is absolutely amazing. And Jesus talks about this in John 17, verses 20 through 22. And I remember, um, I've talked about this before, but I remember the first time I had the aha moment about this was, was like, I don't know, like 30 years ago now. <laughs> and I, at first I thought I must not be thinking this correctly. 
But as the years have gone on, I realized that it wasn't heresy that I was thinking. It was actually the truth, that the promises that we've been promised are so great, and they start to touch on the nature and character of God and us being invited into something that isn't just, you know, you know, hanging out on the clouds or being in a beautiful place or, you know, having lobster at the marriage supper of the lamb or something. This is so much bigger than, than anything our little minds can comprehend. Here's what Jesus said. He's praying to God. I do not ask for these only, that is for the 12 apostles that he was praying for at that time, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, and that's you and me, okay, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us. I'm going to read that again. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. And the place of unity, the place of oneness, is in this divine community of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. To be in them, that's unity. So here's sort of the bottom line for all of this, is that Jesus was given a sinless mortal body uh, at the Incarnation when he, he became a man. It was a body that God had prepared for him. He lived a perfect and sinless life. He followed the path of the Holy Spirit. Um, he was led by the Spirit. He did. He was perfectly obedient to the Father, even to the point of death on a cross. He gave up his spirit. He went into the place of the dead. He was brought back into a relationship with God through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Then he was resurrected in an immortal body. He ascended into heaven where he was glorified and given dominion and uh, rulership and honor and glory. And then he came down and gave the Holy Spirit to the apostles and sent them out. Our path is going to be basically the same thing. If you're a son of God, if you're following after the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did, and you follow after Jesus, we're going to receive our bodies in this way as well. We all have a mortal body right now with a sin nature that leads to death. One day, in the twinkling of an eye, death will be swallowed up in victory because there's some people who are not going to die. They're going to be given a resurrection immortal body in the twinkling of an eye. Okay, It's not the rapture that's in the twinkling of an eye. It's this death is swallowed up in victory. Um, the perishable puts on the imperishable. The mortal puts on immortality. That's when death is swallowed up in victory because some of us will never die. Here's a passage from um, one of the letters of Paul. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, that is this body right here, and he's talking about people who die and their bodies go back to dust again, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, 
longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So our bodies have our, our clothes. They clothe our spirit and our souls. For while we are still in this tent, okay, this temporary body, we groan being burdened, not that we we would be unclothed, that is, that we wouldn't have a body at all, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. And again, he's talking about the Holy Spirit is our guarantee that this is going to happen. Okay, so how this is going to play out this is my understanding at the present moment okay revelation chapter 12 talks about the woman is going to go into travail satan is going to cast a third of his stars to the earth and all of this is symbolic all of these parts are symbolic the woman represents israel travail represents a war or an invasion the child is us we are a part of the male child who's going to rule and reign uh, with a rod of iron we're going to do the same thing Okay, as believers, that's our destiny if we are sons of God. Okay, that's the important part of this. So when the war comes to an end, the travail of the woman is over. That's when the birth takes place. And we're going to go into our immortal bodies. That's when death is going to be swallowed up in victory. Then we're going to have seven days. Okay, where we're going to be here on earth, okay, because when you have a male child, you've got seven days before the flesh is cut away, and on the eighth day, that's when the child is presented to God and all of that, and that's when we are going to be caught up. That's when we're brought to God and to his throne, and that's when we receive our glorification. We're presented to God. Jesus is going to present us to God. And he's going to say, Father, here is so-and-so, a son of God. And God's going to say, welcome. Well done. Enter into the joy. <laughs> you know, I'm glad you're here. Uh, whatever it is that God will say, but you're going to feel the love that you've never felt, um, you know, to the, to the extent that you are going to feel it when you get in God's presence. Okay, so this is... This is all stuff we believe and accept by faith. This, I believe, this seven days with the eighth day, this thing with the male child, that's is going to coincide with the Feast of Tabernacles, which is also a seven-day feast with an eighth day at the end. This is when people uh, live in, you know, sukkahs, tents, tabernacles. They are, they're temporary. They're meant to, you know, see the stars through, and they're, by the end of the, um, they start out real pretty with all these branches and stuff, and by the end of the week, it's all looking pretty sad. <laughs> and then on the eighth day, there is a solemn assembly when everybody goes back to their permanent homes. This is a feast of joy, and just like when a child is born, the sorrow ends once the child is born. It's also a time of joy. So this is going to be just an amazing time. Satan is going to try to um, devour the child. Okay, and we're talking some kind of spiritual warfare that's going on, but you know it's not going to work. Whatever he does, it's not going to work. Not not for those of us who've been um, not glorified but made immortal. Okay, 
This was where I used to think that, you know, we were glorified here, but that's not that's not true. You can't be glorified until you go into God's presence. And, you know, there's this kind of a weird theory that's out there that, um, you know, with the typical pre-tribulation dispensational theology is that, you know, there's there'll come a day that we don't have any idea when it is. Believers will be caught up to God in some time between um, the, the earth and getting into the cloud. We're going to be glorified and then we'll go into heaven. All right, that's weird. Okay, there is no scriptural basis for that at all. There's no foundation for it. It's just it's just tradition. My thinking is, and I think I have a lot of biblical support for what I'm communicating here, it's getting uh, finer and finer tuned, which for me is always a wonderful thing because it, it gives me real confidence in what we can see coming. So remember, there's a travail first. And the travail is for the woman. That's a war or an invasion. And then there's uh, Satan casting a third of his stars to the earth, whatever that looks like. The war will be over the day we're born. And I believe that will coincide with the Feast of Tabernacles. That's when the 144,000 of Israel will get the Holy Spirit and will be assisting in that with Christ here on earth. Okay, that's how I'm seeing it anyway. And to me, this looks really good. <laughs> and it, it just makes me really happy to, um, to be able to um, share this with you. So leave me a comment. Let me know what you think. And we'll see you on another video. Till then, have a blessed day.